And this podcast is brought to you by Quip. Quip is the best toothbrush in the world. And I'm not just saying that because I use it every day. I use it every day because it's the best toothbrush in the world. Designed by dentists, actually more than 25,000 dental professionals back this toothbrush, but it is also very beautiful, looks great, declutters your bathroom. And now Quip, which delivers brush heads every three months because that's what the dentist recommends because we're using old worn out bristles. Every three months you get a new brush head for $5. But now they're also adding the little floss. And I say a little floss because the design is amazing and it has pre-measured floss in a, in a container that looks just like a toothbrush or similarly designed. Check it out for yourself as well as anti-cavity toothpaste. And all of that comes right to your door every three months and on a dentist recommended schedule. And your first one is free. The refill pack is free when you go to getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash K-H. Getquip.com slash K-H is the perfect gift for the holidays. Also, they have kid sizes and kit colors. Really cute. It's the perfect toothbrush to start your little ones off with good brushing habits. So getquip.com slash K-H today. And while we're brushing our teeth, let's also whiten them. That's right. Who wants to have a stained holiday smile? Especially those of us who, who drink coffee or like me, drink a lot of tea. Your teeth start to look a little dingy. I got something for you. Power swabs. Power swabs are amazing. And you've never whitened your teeth until you whiten them with power swabs. They're clinically proven to whiten an average of two shades in the first five minutes. That's five minutes. Okay, power swabs will never leave your teeth and gums sore and sensitive like the other whitening treatments and is totally safe and effective on all dental work. And if you're not happy, power swabs are backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So try power swabs today. You will not believe how much whiter your teeth will be in just five minutes. And I got a deal for you. Go to buy B-U-Y power Use my code Karen and you get 40 percent off. 40, 40, an additional $10 off, plus a free quick stick. That's right, 40% off, $10 off on top of that, plus a free quick stick by going to power, buypowerswabs.com, code Karen, or you can call them 800-668-1749. That's 800-668-1749, or go to buypowerswabs.com, code Karen, today. Let me just introduce this man because he's not just an, uh, a genius, musical genius, absolutely, and is responsible for so many musical genres. But this this guy is is socially conscious, you know. He he's he's we're gonna talk. We're gonna I'm gonna get in your business too. I'm gonna get in your business in a second. But I just want to welcome you to the show because I'm incredibly honored to to Thank have you. you here today, Mr. Nile Rogers. All right, all right. Um. Now, now, let me just take care of some business. Chic, you're doing a, a new Chic album. It's been 24 years yeah. since your last album. Right. Right. Um, but I've been busy since then. Oh, yeah, like yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going like, to go there. I was going to go there. So, <laughs> so I mean, so so this generation, you know him from, uh, you know, you I don't know the words. That's you. That's true. Right. Right. Daft Punk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Genius. Right. Some some other people may know him from I'm coming. Out. That's Diana uh-huh, Ross, right? Uh-huh, okay, yeah. you may know but him from for that. your generation. Maybe. My ge- yeah, I don't know. Right, right, right. right. Biggie, right? Notorious. Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying when I talk about musical genius? You know what I'm saying, okay? This man right here spans so many generations. So when you think about this generation, and, and I watched you grab that Grammy, 
right up there with those two <laughs> dudes in the in the in mask. Like, what the hell? What the hell is that about? But I was glad you were up there. Pharrell was up there with his hat. Everybody's like looking a fool except for you. And I'm saying to myself, you know, to be still relevant in in this generation, how how does that feel? Um, life. It feels like life. I um, when I started out with music, one of the earliest lessons I learned. Um, well, I guess I was just jealous. I noticed that actors and painters and other people in the arts were always able to, to stay relevant by transitioning into a different phase of their life, right? Like you could see an actor become go from a leading man to whatever, the distinguished scientist. Anthony Hopkins, yeah, you know, right, who gets, exactly. yeah, right, 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 or Jack Nicholson. Right, yeah, right, yeah. Turn it, right, or Jack Nicholson, exactly, perfect, perfect examples. Or Sidney Poitier, right. you know, I mean, you can, you just become that dude. Um, so as a as a kid, um, I had seen th- that um, uh, that artists, especially in 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 the R and B field, become irrelevant. That you don't get a chance to have a full lifespan um, for your whole life that you're walking around. And I was thinking, damn, well, I just can't just do one kind of music, uh, and I also can't just do it with one generation, or else it wouldn't. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you get to be Anthony Hopkins in in the record business? you know, without being someone like Stevie Wonder. And I knew I wasn't Stevie Wonder, so. Um, who is another genius who spans generations, but but there's a vision that he has without sight. Right. You know, that I think you share. Right, well, it's funny you mentioned us with Daft Punk. He actually was up there with us on that moment when we played it live. Right. We played live with Stevie That's Wonder. That's right. I, he, he just came out of my mind. I wasn't actually thinking of that moment, but yeah. Um, but so, you know, it, yeah, I took notice of the fact that that the that the opportunities were somewhat limited, uh, unless I expanded my sort of horizons, and um, you know if you go back to when it really opened up for me, it was in 1982 that I met David Bowie in a after hours club, and um, he asked me to do uh, an album that would be called would, would become Let's Dance, and at the time Put I was on thinking, your red shoes <laughs> and dance the blues. blues. Yeah. I was thinking at the time that I was going to make a flop with David Bowie because his last few albums were flops. Yes, they were. <laughs> but I thought that it would give me artistic credibility because up until then, I had been known as this guy who, who made hits, but they were all sort of R&B, disco, pop records. And, um, and then David Bowie asked me to make a hit. And I was like, what? You want to make a hit? And I said, um, uh, okay. And I was nervous about that. <laughs> I was like, that. what does that look like? Yeah, and, well, David no. Bowie, because you haven't had one yeah, in right. a minute. So what does your hit look like? <laughs> yeah, I know what my hit looks right. like. Exactly. So so what I did was, um, after I queried him and we talked a bit, and I realized that he was serious, so I looked at it from his point of view, and I thought to myself, well, for David Bowie, a hit would actually be an artistic project. So I thought to myself, how do I approach David Bowie's artistic hit-making project? And as soon as I committed to that, boom, I was like the Terminator. I was unstoppable. It was Talk, like, take us through the process because, I, you know, I, I love music, like really, really, really love music. Not today's music because I don't think today's music is music, right? To well, me, to me. To, you know, I mean, every, I'm sure every you, generation. You didn't like Get Lucky? It was all right. It was all right. I mean, for me, I'm just being honest. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was snappy beat. But, you know, when, when, when I talk about, when, when you bring, bring up Stevie, right. songs in the key of life, right? right? Oh, to yeah. this day. Oh, yeah. No. I think of things that, that I can play today. Earth, right. Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. Right. Yeah. That I can play today and Sheik. I still get this feel. Chic. Yeah. 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 Chic. Chic. And I still. I never knew there was a. 
love like this before. <laughs> right. So so when I'm I'm feeling away, you know, I can go a place, go someplace in music that is good, good music. Today is Jill Scott for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some Erica mm-hmm. Badu. I can mm-hmm. go to a place when I hear certain chords, and I just think not enough. Energy is put into music. Not enough. Not 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 enough spirit is put into music today, right? So so when when it, I think it used of to you, be called soul. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. happened? Um, well, auto tune. I, I don't like, know if to explain it to well, me. I, need to I, I don't I, see. I don't know if I feel the same way, but I think that that we just have a different way of expressing it in today's world. Um, I just finished working with Janelle Monae, and I'm going to be working with her again. And I'm telling you, she's got soul. She brings it. She does. She brings it. But it's rare is the point. You know, there are rap battles and I'm, I'm going someplace with you. Right. So I sit I sit today. I come in and there's a, you know, an indictment of a police officer in, in Cincinnati, a, a, a campus police officer for killing a, a man uh, because he had, didn't have a license plate on his on the front of his car. This man named Sam DeBose. Same, uh, same as it ever was. Yes. And you come from a generation where you're coming on the tail end of the civil rights movement right. and, and Pettus Bridge and Selma and all, right. all of these things into a place. And it was music w- was usually the song track. Right. right. So Mahalia Jackson, right. and, uh, uh, Harry Belafonte, you had musicians who were very instrumental in movements. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Nina Simone, yeah, you know, absolutely. I mean, My Mississippi, goddamn, you yeah, know, that was, yeah. you know, that was forbidden fruit. Yeah. Forbidden, those songs captured a moment. James Brown, yeah, say it absolutely. loud. Uh-huh. I'm black and I'm proud. You know, so so throughout even the songs in the key of life mm-hmm. chronicled what was happening. Mm-hmm. And today I see a void, right? Mm-hmm. Musically, because that's the to me, you need all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And your music should reflect the times. And we got like silly, frivolous rap beef beefs going on right, right. now and s- songs about nothing. Right. And people with no souls. But but in a way uh, as I said, I don't necessarily completely agree, but in a way, the songs you're talking about are a reflection of the times. Um, what What's happened is that because we don't have, um, I, I think because it's been such a long time since the movement, if you will, was front and center, um, a, a lot of people don't have that same feeling. Like I noticed that with my younger brothers, you know, they they know they know me as their older brother. They know me as their older brother who was in the Black Panthers, and I used to take them to rallies and stuff like that. But they were kids, right? So they you know we they look all cute in pictures you with know, the little you know, afro yeah, right? <laughs> and, little, and, yeah. and you know big brother all panthered down and all that stuff. And we stand in front of the courthouse, but um, but to them it's just a picture of like my they almost look at it like I was on a football team or something. So they don't actually they didn't grow up in an era where they were struggling quite the same way. Um, a lot of things in today's world masquerade as equality. So when you can, when you have a lot of role models that have a lot of money and this and that, like I remember the first time I bought something crazy for my youngest brother. And what was it? It was, it was crazy. It was a car that was way out of his league. Like a Ferrari it, or something? No, I didn't go that Okay, crazy. all right, because that's I'm just crazy. saying, but that's hard to drive too. No, it, well, not real. Well, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> where, where, my, where, my, but where my mother lives, after I bought my mom this house in this great neighborhood, I realized that in order for him to keep up with, you know, with everybody around him, he had to do like that to feel equal. And and then I realized that their lives were more about the stuff than about the mm. substance. And I remember one day asking him, well, don't you feel strange about not having to work to get the stuff? And he said to me in plain English, it doesn't make any difference how you got it. It's just the fact that you have it. 
And I was like, what's Damn, the age my difference? My brother told yeah. me that. What's the age difference here? Because it's, it's a big age difference. Okay, so talk about that. You you were born in, in New York, 1952. New York. So, yeah, I, yeah, yeah I was going. I wasn't going to give you age. I was going to say you were born in New York. Yeah, you know, and and in Greenwich Village of all mm-hmm. places, you grew mm-hmm. up in Greenwich Village in New York. I'm like, what black people were living in Greenwich Village? Was not that the, many. Yeah, that was, <laughs> but you're, you're, both your parents were addicts, yeah. right? And both heroin addicts. Yeah, which is heavy as a kid, you know, to have that as your, your reality. Mm-hmm. So, so where, the, how many brothers are there? Four brothers. Okay. My mom had five boys trying to have one girl. Okay. That happens. And yeah. never yeah, did. Yeah, right? Yeah, right. So it was all of y'all and the age range. So I'm the oldest. Uh, my mom had me at 14 years old. Wow. So my brother who's next to me in age is six years younger. Okay. So uh, I remember my mother's 21st birthday. Like, I mean, I was already big. You know, when crazy. I was like, yeah, when my mom like turned seven, yeah, when my mom was 21, I was like almost her height. Hey, this is Karen Hunter with the holidays just around the corner. Now is the perfect time to order holiday cards for family and friends. And this year, create custom holiday cards quickly, easily and affordably at simply to SimplyToImpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique designs to choose from. All you have to do is upload your family photos, or you can even get them from Instagram, personalize the text, and you're done. It's that easy. SimplyToImpress.com, print your cards professionally on your choice of premium card stock in just a few days, and then rushes them straight to your door. The New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite holiday card service. Simply to Impress even offers foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs just for your business as well. So place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. So, um, uh, so if you just think about, so it's six years difference between me and my brother who's closest to me in age. And then, um, you, you know, so there's, you know, 13, 14 years, 15 years difference between me and my youngest brother. And, um, and there's a big gap because what happened is that when big brother made it, so I'm 25 or so. So before we get to big brother made it, how does big brother make it in a home with two parents high on heroin? Oh, big brother left at, I was a teenager. I left home at like 14, 15 years old to go where to go live in my girlfriend's house. And then I eventually wound up living on the subway when she decided I wasn't going to be a boyfriend anymore. And I wound up living on the subway. I was homeless for a while. And, uh, in New York, in New York, riding the subways, living on the subways as a teenager, but it was fine. Trust me. It was fine. My, my cousin, my first cousin was what we call a tunnel rat. And she lived in the subway, like in the subway where the rats are. At least I just lived in the subway on the, train. on the actual train. Yeah. So how are you functioning on a daily basis? Because, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I need you to tell this story. And I know you've told it before because there's so many people who are living lives and thinking that, you know, everything's so horrific. You know, like mm-hmm. it's the worst life ever. No, not at all. And, and here's a man raised by two heroin addicts living on his own as a teenager in New York City, which is both the hardest and the easiest city if you right. can make it. If you make right. it, you just. It's great. But if you don't, it, yeah. it, it, it has you. Right. Yeah but somehow made it to become probably one of the most important musical, not just music, because I think what you do is a lot bigger than that. One of the most important people in our history. How does that, what, what are you doing as a teenager that, that made it okay for you to ride the subways? Um, I always, see, I was raised in an era where we were socialized to care about other people. Like that was first and foremost. 
it's funny. I always make a joke. Like when I was a kid, um, a person, uh, and let me let me put this in context. Um, there was always a little old lady or a little old man waiting for you to walk them across the street. Like people make jokes about it now, but when I was a kid, I was a Cub Scout, a Boy Scout, and all that stuff way before I became a Black Panther. But these were all just part of the same social dynamic. They taught young children to respect their elders and to care for property, and, and you know, and and so and so. What happened is that um, because I was I was socialized to care about others, I never felt my own pain that much. Now, don't get me wrong; there was a time where I felt pain so much that I actually was sort of suicidal, but that was just a minute. Right, <laughs> and you were I, doing some drugs too. You did a little. Well, that was later. Yeah, I, else. Okay, I never right. felt suicidal yeah, once I was doing drugs. I could, it, I could afford good. it. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Duly noted. Okay. So, no, so, that was a choice. So, you, are fun. you not going to school? Like, what? Are, so, how are you, here's, what's here's your an day? interesting thing about my educational background. Um, because I was born um, sickly, I I was born. So my mom, you know, got pregnant at thirteen. Four, yeah. So, so yeah, it, too young nowadays. Really to, well, nowadays she's not doing prenatal vitamins. Right? And stuff, no, right? she didn't. No, she actually tried to abort me. They didn't know how to do it. They, my mom actually had three coat hanger abortions. So when they were trying, time out. Yeah. Okay, continue. So I just had to process wasn't legal. that. No, so it wasn't. Remember, right? It was before I, Roe v. Wade. I, I, I was, I was like, part of that movement that did things like that. We we got you know <laughs> we. I remember Damn. I was born in 52. Right. Yeah, no, 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 no Roe no, v. Wade. You know, no, we take no. these things for granted no, while they're yeah. fighting over plan, Planned Parenthood yeah, right, right now, yeah, which no. we're going to talk about later. We take yeah, this for no, granted no. That, that. No, my mom almost died. The first time she did it, she was fine. The second two times she did it, she almost died. I mean, the trying doctor, to get rid of you. Yeah, you know, she tried to get rid of me, but that didn't work. They didn't know how right. to do it. They were, okay. They were children. Kid, they were kids with a coat hanger, and yeah. they knew something with the coat hanger, and we dig around. Okay. So, anyway, when I was born, I was born with uh, what they thought was just polycystic kidney disease, but in fact, it was all my organs, but they didn't know it at the time. So nowadays, if a, if a girl is 13 years old, they automatically give you a C-section because now they've gotten smarter and they know that it's dangerous for the kid. So when I was, when I was born, I had a lot of problems, and they put me in a convalescent home at the time I was five years old. That may have been the greatest thing that ever happened to me because now I'm sitting in this convalescent home in Valhalla, New York, and they were known for their early childhood development programs when it came to education. So now I'm five years old sitting in this classroom, one one room classroom with kids from the age of five or four up to 16 or 17. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do what they do. So I'm sitting well, learn. there. Right. Learn. learn how to right. read. Learn how to read. So the very first day I went to a proper school, I was six years old and I was behind the class in time. I was by maybe two months late, but because I was born in September, they were considering, well, do we let this kid, do we leave him back until next year? And, you know, because he'll, he'll still be six years old, but he'll be the oldest person in the class. But now he's the youngest person in the class, but he's a few months behind. So they gave me a book to read, and I just whipped through that. That was like a first grade reader, and it was like, you know, whatever. I don't Please, even know. I read, 16 years I'm reading I them was, asleep. Yeah, right. I was reading at an eighth grade <laughs> level at six years old. Wow. And so because I went to Catholic school, they kept t- saying that I was touched by the hand of God, and my mom was laughing, going, "No, he went to school." School, yeah, he actually. Yeah. <laughs> he just went you to school. You see what happens when you actually educate somebody? <laughs> they could go on to become something despite their right. horrible beginnings. Circumstances, right. yeah. I mean, it's just to me, it's in- incredible what you've overcome, right? And and how much of that is in your music, even though you say you it. didn't experience pain, but no, all I of it. Feel it, all of it. So what it is is that. So what I do is my music is about, I always tell, say to people that my music is nonfiction. So I take real life, which is why I can write so many songs. 
I take real life and superimpose fictional elements onto it. So, you know, for example, I'll give you a crazy example. Um, when I wrote the song, uh, I'm coming out for Diana Ross, I went into this club one night and it was just one of the clubs in the hood. We would just, well, not, not the hood, but you know, like New York hood, hell's kitchen. So it was in the neighborhood that I was living in. Hiring is challenging, and it used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter. In fact, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you cannot miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, listeners here can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And and at that time, being in New York, I could get in any club. At that point, everybody knew me. So I hadn't done any big records yet outside of my own. Um, uh, and so now I'm, I'm producing Diana Ross. And I couldn't even brag to anybody because nobody would believe I was producing the, what, the right. biggest stars right. on, on the planet. So I'm standing in the bathroom, and I happen to just notice on either side of me with three, um, uh, I, I can't say, that, well, they were transvestites. But in, in those days, they would say that they were drag queens. Yeah, or oh. female impersonated okay, drag queens right, or trans, right. whatever. So, but I didn't really know where they were coming from. But I knew that they, maybe there was a Diana Ross lookalike concert contest, contest or whatever. Right. But I'm standing in the room with six transvestites, and I ran outside because we didn't have cell phones. And I called my boy up and I said, "Look, write this down." He says, "What?" I says, "Write down I'm coming out. We have to do a song called I'm coming out." And he says, "Why?" What? And I said, what? I said, think about this. I said, I've just been standing in a room with six dudes. They were all dressed up like Diana Ross. And I couldn't even brag. I couldn't even say, I know I wrote We Are Family and he's the greatest dancer and freak out and good times and all that stuff. You know, I know I'm in chic, but I never work with a big star. And um, so in my head, all of this reality was just coming together. So, you know, you knew all the tip typical or the stereotypical jokes about you know gay people yeah well they like diana ross they like liza minnelli they like show tunes blah 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 they dress well you know all that sort of stuff so i just thought oh man i'm doing diana ross um if i can do so i said to my boy exactly this it's funny that you mentioned the james brown record i said look if we do a song by diana ross and she goes out on stage and she goes i'm coming out It'll be like James Brown going, say it loud, I'm, I'm black, black and I'm, I'm proud. proud. And it became and be, an anthem. And, yeah, and I said to him, I said, we will sell a million records <laughs> just in the gay yeah. community because there's no straight person like down with them because I came from the whole thing where like in the, in the you black. You gave her a whole new, how many did you end up selling? Six million records. Come on now. <laughs> I'm just like, that just made me, you know what? Nah, listen, Nile Rogers is in the house, y'all, if you don't know.
The touchy feely freak. Oh my God! Is that is that was that what uh, what that's what inspired you? Being um, at what yeah, Studio Fifty Four yeah, yeah, yeah. and watching the people, people out there touching yeah, each other, absolutely. being all nasty, and you were like, "I'm gonna write a song about absolutely. this." <laughs> love it! I love it! I love it! When we when we left, I, you know, in the break, actually, we were we were talking, and um, you are responsible for disco, which could be both looked at as an incredible accomplishment and also the bane of your existence, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I just had an argument with somebody about what killed disco. Okay. And I said, and I was talking about how powerful radio right. is. And, and and it took, I think it was like two rock dudes who yeah. hated disco. Steve Dahl. I, I didn't want to get them, don't get okay. them no credit. But they got on the airwaves and, and literally were able to kill disco yeah. with their mouths. Right. Like, that's how powerful these airwaves are. Like, they made it uncool, right. and in one fell swoop, everyone followed suit. And I'm like, right. how crazy. I mean, you think about Donna Summers and all of the, you yeah. know, how powerful disco was. And you created this whole, and it was like a good feeling. Mm-hmm. You felt good when you heard those songs. You wanted to do, the, you know, like, We Are Family, that Sister right. Sled song, makes you happy, right. you know? And they just killed it because they were just sour, sour awful people but go ahead you tell me what what you think about it that's how i felt well it was a little different than that i think that that what happened was steve Dahl was a regular terrestrial dj at a radio station and um when they decided that they changed their format they were a, a hard rock station and they thought that he was so associated with the station and even though he had decent ratings they thought that they couldn't change format and keep the same on-air personality uh, I actually personally don't believe that he hated our music. In fact, I have found out um, in history so many people that I actually thought hated my music actually loved it and thought it was great and loved what we did. But it was just the politics of the time. And I think that he he himself even thought that it was just somewhat of a joke and he was protesting really against his boss. Right. But the one thing that I think that he tapped into, and he may have been smart enough to know this, but the class warfare and the race warfare and things like that, if you looked at the disco movement and you looked at people like myself who actually came from very, very humble beginnings, we were celebrating like we had all the money in the world and all the fun in the world because when we went into a club decked out the way we decked out, um, you know, you wouldn't think of us as poor people or or hardcore working people. It was a way to escape. It was escapism. That's exactly what it was. And if you think about it, uh, just look at financial history. Uh, it was the greatest recession since the Great Depression, yeah. the yes. end of the 70s. And people were having a tough time. So meanwhile, people in middle, and, yeah. Right, yeah. In middle yeah. white America were looking at these black and Puerto Ricans and women just mm-hmm. like talking about this fabulous lives we were living. And this was the beginning of what we call the, the buppy, the black urban professional. So now black people are starting to assimilate and work on Wall Street and stuff like that. So you'd have these, you know, uh, images of glamour. This was the beginning of the supermodel. So you'd have Beverly Johnson and all this stuff. And all of a sudden it was like looking like, damn, these people at these discos are having all this fun and all this money. And meanwhile, I can't get gas. (laughs) You have gone through so much. You got to promise to come back before you leave, though. The prostate cancer that you you beat and you're completely in remission. I'm cancer free. Okay. What did you do to get cancer free and, and just inspire some people to make sure that they get checked out, these brothers out here, because they don't like to go to the doctors, not understand. Yeah. Well, the the truth is 
is that it affects African-American men at a much higher rate than anybody else. Okay, than anybody else. Um, So basically, I don't like to give medical advice, so I won't. I don't believe in that because, you know, what the doctors told me was to find out as much as I could find out and then make this decision myself because it was a life or death decision. So basically, when I decided what I was going to do, the truth is, is that I I uh, I did more music than I've ever done in my whole life. Just and in that's case, what, <laughs> you just got in it? case, yeah. yeah. I, in, I may not my, be here, but in, let no. me make sure I leave. My, yeah, no, in, I, in, I feel in, that. In my, in my book, in my autobiography, I write about how my dad was a musician, and he was a, an incredible musician, and he was a in a strange way. If he had recorded something, he he would be he would have been remembered because he was the only black musician that was playing with a, a guy named the Ted White. Um, uh, was uh, I was gonna say Ted Whiteman, Whiteman. Uh, uh, it, um, well, it's definitely Whiteman, Paul Whiteman, Paul Whiteman Orchestra, and Paul Whiteman, who was called the King of Jazz, believe it or not, used to have a television show called Teen Something America out of Philadelphia. It became American Bandstand. Wow! And oh. my father was playing with Paul Whiteman. <laughs> the day I was born, my dad was playing with Paul Whiteman on that television show. It's amazing in Philly. You, you're an incredible man. Um, you must come back. You must promise to come back.